This is Kim Honeycutt. I am the executive director of ICU Talks. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here and that you are a part of our podcast, Hear Voices, and you're about to hear the voice of a man who is exceptional. This is an amazing talk on transformation from Brian Evans. And the part you're probably not going to get to see, so I'm going to let you know, is that when this is over, he got down on one knee with a fake ring and proposed to me. So, I'm a happy camper. So, you enjoy the next 20 minutes of your life. You're about to be super blessed because he's going to bring the supernatural to you right now. Brian Evans. What's up, ICU Talks? Man, happy new year up in here. And this is amazing. Uh, it's just so incredible to be here. Um, I'm going to dive right in because I only got 20 minutes and I got a whole bunch of stuff to say. <laughs> But I'm just amazed to be here on this stage because if you had told me about 10 years ago that I would be standing up here doing this, I would never have believed you. God is amazing. I mean, seriously, like for real, when you get to know him, he's like seriously mind-blowing, amazing. Um, so I just really honor God tonight, first and foremost, for his presence just for his amazing nearness in my life and transformation, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. But can I, like, acknowledge a few people? You, you guys good? All right. Cool, cool, cool. Real quick, real quick. Uh, I have my Have Life Church family in the building. Have Life to the wall. Yes. I love y'all, man. It is amazing that you guys came. Um, my good friend, Shamira Parker, I got to give you a special shout out. Y'all know her and love her, right? So I got a table outside. Y'all stop by my table. Got books. I'll sign them for you. Amen. So <laughs> she was like, do you have anybody help you with the table? I was like, no. And she was like, um, you may want to have somebody. And it's like... <laughs> I was like, okay, please, thank you. So she graciously offered to help me. So you're a special person, and I thank you so much for that. I had to give you a shout-out for that. Yes, I see you talks. Well, Miss Fitz, Miss Fitz in the house. I miss y'all, man. It's so good to see you guys. I love you guys. Dio, incredible. Thank you. Can we give her some love, too? Man. Kristen, I can't wait to hear you. I'm actually about to sit down now, pass you the mic so we go ahead and <laughs> And then there's Kim Honeycutt. Yeah. I mean, what, what can we say? I mean, it's just it's <laughs> so, so many things to say. <laughs> we love you. Congratulations on six amazing years. I'm just so happy to be a part of this family. Um, you guys have welcomed me with open arms, and it's just been amazing being here in my short time. I'm looking forward to many more years serving here. I thank God for you. So transformation. Um, I want to kind of start off with, with kind of like a thought. It's an original quote. You can take it if you want it. It's fine. In dealing with transformation, the only difference between a grave and a garden is what's buried in the dirt. See, graves are made for corpses, but gardens are made for seeds. And when you think about the effect that dirt 
has on what's buried in it, you begin to see the miracle of transformation. The beautiful thing about life is everything that has happened to us and everything that we go through is nothing but dirt. We get to decide whether we're going to be a corpse and die in what we go through or if we're going to be a seed and be transformed by the dirt. So I want to talk to you tonight about the dirt. I want to talk to you about my dirt, your dirt. Let's get dirty. <laughs> yes. So when I was kind of thinking about tonight, yeah, man, what, do I, what do I say? I mean, I'm here, I'm in front of a bunch of people that I don't really know. Some I do, but where do I start? Where do I start my story? So then I thought about it. I was like, man, I, it, it'll be a good place to start when in, in the sixth grade, I was riding my bike and got hit by a car. And yeah, went up in the air, came down, landed on my head. My ear was torn from my head, knocked my teeth out, almost died. I woke up in and out of consciousness, my mother standing over me crying. But she grabbed me and she pulled me up and she said, say out of your mouth that you're going to live. Say it right now. And me in my groggy, foggy state, I comprehended what she was saying. And I repeated it, I'm going to live. So she began to pray over me right there on the ground. I declare not one broken bone over your body. They took me to the hospital, not one broken bone. Barely a concussion. So I'm standing here today because of the prayers of the righteous that availeth much. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I don't want to start my story there. I don't want to start there. <laughs> then I thought about, man, okay, growing up in high school in a gang-infested neighborhood where every day I go to school, I'm worried about dying today. Am I going to make it back home? Because the initiation for Bloods and Crips, and see, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, and you know, you think about Birmingham, Alabama, I know you're looking at me like, really, dude, Birmingham? Seriously? Gangs? Yeah. What you don't know is that in the 80s and the 90s, Birmingham, Alabama was considered the myrtle capital of the South. Black men were actually believed to never make it to the age of 21. If you made it to the age of 21, you were like a unicorn. So depression and anxiety came into my life every single morning that I woke up thinking, I got to go to school today, feeling like I'm going to vomit because when I got dropped off, I felt like I was being dropped off at a prison. So that was when I was introduced to the anxiety spirit that even today sometimes plagues me. But God is a good God because not only did I make it to 21, but this past November I celebrated 45 years. And I know I, know, I, know I look 25. I do, I do. <laughs> Praise God. But 45 is it. But I don't want to start my story there. I, I want to kind of keep going because that would be a good place to start, though. <laughs> That'd be a good place to start. But then I thought, well, 
Let me start with my first marriage. <clears throat> marriage number one. Um, after an argument, she decided to go and pull my nine millimeter. She was that angry. So she came, and I found myself looking down the barrel of a nine millimeter. Fortunately, there was not a bullet in the chamber. Otherwise, I would not be here tonight. God spared my life. But I don't want to start my story there. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? Let's, let's start at marriage number two. Let's start there, because that was a good one. That was a good story. <laughs> so living, living with an alcoholic, an addict, and not seeing the red flags when you were dating. But then through the cares of life, things start to materialize and manifest and living there, dealing with that addiction until it eventually ran her away to where she abandoned our marriage, had no idea where she was, her mom didn't know where she was, had no idea, until eventually I just filed for divorce. So I was like, yeah, I feel that. That's a good place to start my story. But one, one thing that I do want to let you guys know is that all these things that I went through, they didn't really change me. They didn't transform me. They affected me. But they didn't transform me. So I want to start my story with my transformation. Because all these things were dirt. But I didn't know how to process the dirt. So let me tell you where I want to start my story. I want to start my story when I walked away from God and decided that I didn't want to have anything else to do with him ever, ever again. That's why I want to start my story, because in that moment is where my transformation happened, because I met the God of Psalm 139. And I'll tell you about that a little later. So my story actually begins to start from the beginning. My story begins in the 70s. <laughs> Born in 1974, Birmingham, Alabama. And I was actually born to a beautiful mom and dad and, and, and my family. I was really close, still close to them. That fly dude on the, on the right in the white suit. <laughs> that would be me. So I got my swagger and I heard it from my dad, as you can see. Yeah. 70s were a great decade. Afros bell bottoms. It was a wonderful decade, right? It was awesome. <laughs> so I grew up in church. Early age, was saved at 13, called into the ministry at 17, was preaching before I was 20. Thought I knew God, thought I had a really strong relationship with him. As a matter of fact, my family, we would come together and pray every Saturday. And that was a wonderful time in my life. My family, we were close. 
and we really had strong faith in God. But all that changed when my aunt, who was the baby of the family, was involved in a car accident. And it was just kind of like a minor fender bender, but she decided to go ahead and get checked out. So she went to the hospital, they did x-rays on her, found some spots on her lungs. So when they did a biopsy, we were believing God. Immediately, we went into prayer. We were thinking, you know, could be cancer, maybe not. She was never a smoker, never really did drugs. So the biopsies uh, were taken, and the results came back, and sure enough, it was lung cancer. We didn't understand it, and we just knew that this was just another opportunity that God was going to use to show up and show out and make himself strong and heal my aunt. So we came together as a family came together, and we started praying and fasting for her, believing God that she was going to be healed. Well, time went on, and you know, there was ups and downs. I don't know if you've been around cancer patients, but there are good days, there are bad days. But eventually, the cancer began to tighten its grip. And I don't know if you've ever been around anyone with lung cancer, but it's agonizing to watch. I remember walking into her bedroom, She was kind of going in and out of consciousness, and she could barely catch her breath because she was having coughing spells. So she had to pull her knees up into her chest, and she would cough and cough and cough until there was no more air left in her body before she would regain the ability to breathe again. So I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, God, I know you can do this, but how long are you going to wait? Eventually the cancer actually overtook her entire body. There in my belief, in my faith, in my fasting, she passed. And I'll never forget standing over her grave when we buried her. And as they lowered her down in the dirt, I actually saw my faith in God being lowered in the dirt. And then through a series of other mishaps in my life, things got so difficult until I wondered, God, where where are you? I grew up in church. I'm, I'm in ministry for goodness sakes. Where are you? When I pray, you're not saying anything. I need answers. So all the answers that I thought I had were overtaken by questions. Does God really exist? It's funny how you can go from one extreme to the other when you're dealing with dirt. Strong in your faith, just know you know that you know who God is. But when pain hits your life, it will rattle and it will shake your very faith and your belief system. And that's what happened to me. So I began to get angry. I would go through the stages of grief. But I got stuck in anger. So what happened to me was I began to think about atheism. I became a full-fledged agnostic. So I don't know if God exists or not. I have no idea. Can you prove it to me? So I would get into arguments with my Christian friends and family. Prove to me that God exists. Prove to me. Here's the interesting thing. People in the church didn't even know what they believed. Had no idea couldn't defend their faith at all. 
I was crying out for it, but no one could. So that drove me further and further away until eventually I wasn't going to church anymore. I was done with God. Done. A minister in the pulpit, done with God, walked away. So now I'm having to understand life on a whole new level, right? So that went on about five years. I was in a club, drinking, drugs, sex, porn, you name it. Whatever I was big and bad enough to do, I was into it because I didn't care. My rage was driving me. I was angry at God because you didn't answer my prayer. How many of us need to forgive God for not meeting our expectations. So this went on and on and on until one day, got up in the morning, I was at pharmaceutical sales, and it was just a normal day. Hopped in my car, traveling down to Graceville, Florida. Anybody from Graceville? <laughs> no, no Graceville in the house? All right, cool. <laughs> As a matter of fact, where is Graceville, Florida? <laughs> I remember looking at that on my territory and when I got my map, I was like, where am I going? Where are y'all sending me? Where's Graceville? Showed up there. I walk into a doctor's office, got my samples, walk in. I'm ready to talk to the doctor about my medications. So I'm sitting there in the hallway waiting for him to come out of patient room. So I'm just kind of waiting, he comes out. So he sees me and then he comes over to me. So I'm getting my spill ready, I got my detail piece out, and I'm like, all right, you about to get hit with this drug medication detail right quick. <laughs> he comes up to me and before I could get a word out, he was like, young man, what's your name? I was like, okay, this is different. My name is Brian Evans, sir. Brian Evans, very nice to meet you. I am with Baringer Ingelheim, I am bringing you. He was like, are you born again? right there in the doctor's office. So I'm sitting there, detail piece in hand, and me growing up in church, I know the answer to this question. In order to prevent you from asking me a second question, the answer to that question is always, yes sir, I'm born again, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, fire baptized, and ready for the return of the Lord Jesus. I had it down. Ready for the second coming. So he looked at me after I said that, and he was like, you know what, you, 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 you were saved. He said, but right now you're in a backslidden state. He said, and I see you involved in some very vile stuff. And he was like, God is calling you out of that today. He said, because he has work for you to do. And he's not gonna let you die in the state that you're in. And he commenced to lay hands on me right there in the doctor's office in the hospital. So I'm sitting there, detailed piece flying on the floor. His nurse practitioner comes around the corner and she sees what's happening and she hits the floor in worship. Immediately, hands up on the floor worshiping God because evidently, I didn't know it, but evidently he does this kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> and I just didn't know it. She knew what was going on, so I'm kind of like, okay, God, whatever you're doing here, let's do it quickly. 
So he prays for me, and then he pulls me into one of the patient rooms. And when he pulls me into a patient room, he actually lays hands on me, and I'm knocked out cold. That day, God transformed my life. <laughs> Hallelujah. He transformed my life. So when I got back out to the car, and I'm closing this, I'm in the car, and I'm like, God, what in the world just happened to me? And I have my head down, and I'm looking. Now, keep in mind, all these years have passed. I've been arguing with my Christian brothers, sisters, didn't want to have anything to do with church, haven't stepped foot in the church in five years. Haven't heard God speak to me a word, but that moment, as I'm sitting in my car with my head down, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me again. And he said, look up. And when I looked up on the side of the building was the name of the clinic, Graceville Family Practice. So he said, Graceville, I brought you by my grace to this city. And I have brought you here because my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I never left you. I had purpose for you. I've been here all along. You thought that I was gone and you thought that I had forsaken you, but I've been here the whole time holding you. Psalm 139 says, whither shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I free from, flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, behold, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, behold, there your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall uphold me. God's right hand upholds us in this transformation. I encourage you tonight, do not allow your dirt to turn you into a corpse. Allow it to transform you. Be a seed, not a corpse. Bring life to others so that you can be transformed. Thank you for listening to me. I love you guys so much, guys.